Hello, 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 and welcome to Capital Musings, your CDF podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor. I'm Eduardo Tanchoni, your new host, and this is season three of Capital Musings, The Road to Doha, where we focus on fifth UN conference for the least developed countries. Today, I have the pleasure of meeting Richard Zulu. Richard Zulu is the founding partner and lead at Outbox. Outbox is an innovation hub based in Kampala, Uganda, that helps African entrepreneurs interested in music technology to grow their businesses through business incubation and technical training programs. Welcome, Richard. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to share my story and my work. Thank you, Richard. So can you describe your life journey thus far in three words and how you came about working on sustainable development? My life journey really started at my university while I was a student in Macquarie University. I was very interested in really building community. So I would describe that as passion. I was interested in ecosystem and technology. And so really for me, it was a no-brainer when it came to getting my organization started in terms of helping young entrepreneurs here in Uganda. When we talk about passion, really, my passion is around building community. It's around seeing that very many people out there can interface and really share knowledge with each other. Ecosystem was really driven by what was happening in Nairobi at the time, way back in 2000 and I should say 10. Uganda was a a very quiet ecosystem. Nairobi was buzzing with the likes of IHAP. At the time, they had experienced post-election violence and come up with this very interesting tool called Ushahidi that drew attention to the ecosystem. And M-Pesa was just around the corner. So I asked myself, what's the best way to build an ecosystem here? And I felt that creating a space that would catalyze conversations, drive trust, and lead to action was one of the best ways. So I emulated the model of the iHub and started something here that would build community. Around technology, my background really is in information and communications technology. That's really what I did at university. So I was picked up as a Google student ambassador very early in my day. I think it was media of my second year where I was picked up. And really our work was to evangelize Google products within the students. So my love for technology really grew from that. That's how I learned how to build community. Google Maps was one of those products that we really evangelized and got to map at different places with students from all over the country. And that naturally helped me build my linkages to Google that helped me get my initial seed funding to start my journey into sustainable development through my organization, Outbox. So I would sum up my journey in those three words, passion, ecosystem, and technology. That's so interesting. Thanks so much for sharing, Richard. Can you tell us a little bit more what building community means to you and why you think it's such an enabler to driving, you know, young entrepreneurs, for example, in Uganda, share a little bit the example of Uganda for you. I must say that Uganda as a country is built along community you'll find that in a household, it's not a nuclear household in most cases. 
a mother and a father are taking care of their children and they might happen to be taking care of their parents. They might happen to be taking care of some children of their brothers and sisters who cannot take care of each other. So there's a community at the household level. And then when you go a bit out of it, we're a very religious country. And one of the ways that religion thrives in this country is around the aspect of community where individuals self-organize and try to share around their different religions just to grow closer together, but also hold each other accountable in one way or another. So for me, just emulating that model from a very young age, way back in my university, I started building community. We had what we called a computer club and I tried building a small community that could build very simple websites around HIV AIDS at the time. That was way back in 2001 when that was still an issue. And so I was a natural when it came to trying to build that community later on in my university days and then around my company. So my company started on the backbone of community where we would bring together software developers to share around how to build a mobile app on Android. How might we use YouTube? How might we build around Google Maps? That's really how I started building community without an organization. And so we would meet once or twice a week in very different locations. And we would choose any one of us to share around what they know and how they go around certain challenges in technology. Later on, I discovered, oh, wait, I can actually merge technology and entrepreneurship. We could build products that solve problems for very many different individuals at scale. And so utilizing the credibility I'd built within the ecosystem, I approached MTN, which is one of the largest telcos here, and said, could we organize a hackathon? So we organized the hackathon together with an Estonian organization called Garage 48. And MTN hosted it, imagine, without anything to my name, but just my credibility within the community. And we got very interesting ideas out of that, very interesting prototypes around fintech, around gaming, crowdsource information around fuel prices. It was very impressive for a very young market. And then I was like, what next? I tried to find further support for these very promising young people at the universities, but it wasn't forthcoming. It wasn't what I really wanted. So I would spend time in my boardroom where I used to work at the time, which was Macquarie University, helping these young people further think about their ideas, work around their business models. And I would do that out of this very small office. Later on, that gave me that self-confidence to really pitch and start Outbox as an organization. And the very first thing that happened when we opened our doors was to invite in the community. So we started as a convening space with lots and lots of events and workshops. So that for me really was because people came together with a common purpose and we believed that we could create change. We could impact many lives with the tools we were building at the time. And most importantly, we could change as people in terms of starting very interesting and purposeful businesses. Thanks so much, Richard. That's such an interesting way of presenting it. And I think you really shared with us what community means to you, but most importantly, what it means for Ugandan people. I think you really brought us there. I picture myself in Kampala seeing you getting together, garnering people to really talk about the future, talk about technology, talk about 
entrepreneurship. So thanks so much for that. So you basically shared with us that you start a small to grow big and the importance of making sure that you have a system in place, be it community-based, be it for your household, that can help you thrive through that. So let's talk more about Outbox and the way you can describe it to us to make us understand what it actually entails. So you describe your company on your website as a launch pad for new ideas. And it's quite a picturesque way of describing a company, if I may say. So can you walk us through what that means? When I started just building onto what I just shared about my inspiration and how I leveraged the values of community to get started at the time, it was very difficult for you to walk out of university or even say, I have an idea and very quickly go to market. Very difficult. The entrepreneurs, if I recall way back in 2012, who had made it, it had taken them longer than it would take now to actually get started, get the market traction once your product is out there and get the necessary partners to help you scale. So these ingredients that any one person would need were very difficult. The cost of doing business in a country like Uganda is quite high, despite the fact that we are ranked as one of the most entrepreneurial country. It's not easy to penetrate communities just to sell your product. Distribution is challenging. Building products, supply chains is very difficult. But most importantly, having access to financing is one of the biggest barriers that many of our young people face. The traditional banking system is not structured in such a way that it can take care of you when you're getting started. So a bank will ask you for some physical collateral until recently that we are starting to look at movable assets for that. But it was non-movable assets. Do you have a house? Do you have a piece of land that you could leave as a guarantee for you to even just get $5,000, $20,000? Very difficult. And so when I set out to build this organization, it was around helping our young people. Uganda is a very young market. Over 60% is under the age of 18. So then the question becomes, okay, we're going to have this very huge demographic dividend moving out of university, coming out into the market. So we're definitely going to have many potential entrepreneurs who really want to launch out there. How do we help them? So then we say, how can I have access to a banking partner or a venture capital firm or firms, for instance? How do I have access to a qualified pool of experts that really shares in our mission and can provide subsidized services to an entrepreneur that's starting out? What about the infrastructure? When I started getting access to the internet was very difficult, I must tell you. Very difficult. Why? It was costly in terms of buying that internet for your home or even just for your office. So you either get it at the university, wireless network, or you pay the expenses, right? That's how expensive it was. By then when I started, it was not very easy to just plug in a, we call it a MiFi in a very small wireless modem, and then you're able to surf. Accessing it on your phone at the time when I started, these were just experiments that were happening. So we set up this infrastructure, this space, we were able to negotiate very good internet rates, and you could just come and sit there and get something done as a member. So access to that infrastructure, 
where you could work, where you could host your services was a challenge. And so for us, those were some of the motivating factors around bringing together all these ingredients, acting as a hub that could quickly help you launch. At, with one phone call, I should be able to get to a distributor in agriculture who can help you penetrate a market X, right? That's how fast we want to help the young people. And I think we're almost getting there. So Outbox is structured as partly incubator, partly accelerator in terms of helping young entrepreneurs really get their businesses off the ground. But we believe our mission is around making sure that all these ingredients that I've just described come together to help a young entrepreneur actually build a very successful business. Interesting, Richard. Thanks so much for walking us through this and also how walking out of university, you moved from having an idea and bringing it to market and helping others do that. But what about like the main focus that you were describing is towards young entrepreneurs. And we understand that in Uganda, especially, there's a very youthful market uh, that you want to penetrate towards and help out. But what is your drive for that? Is it because of the market is larger, so it's easier to access those? Or are there rationale that for you, helping youth in Uganda, as much as in any other LDC, would really bring about change for the future? Africa is one of the continents with the largest segment of young people. And this presents an opportunity for us where we have an opportunity to create a market that can consume products and services over the next X years. So Uganda is one of those such countries that if we do not spend time helping grow that market, then we shall most probably miss out in the opportunities it does present. So in order to grow a market, I usually like using an example as in one of the automotive industries in the U.S., known as Ford. And the lesson that came out of building Ford Motors was, so imagine you have this large demographic of young people graduating, right? On one end, if you're running a business, you're looking at this as potential consumers. You're looking at this as an opportunity. But on the other side, if these young people are not supported to have disposable income, then they cannot spend on your products or services, right? So this presents a very good opportunity through entrepreneurship in terms of how might we unlock, first of all, the, the potential of these young people to contribute beneficiary, well, to contribute to their ecosystem or their markets in terms of growing their industries, in terms of growing our labor force, right? So if we don't skill them, if we don't educate them, we won't definitely see that happening. But I think what's most important is the income that goes to these young people through entrepreneurship. And if we are able to even just get 5%, 5% of these young people to build very scalable, very large enterprises that can employ others, then we shall see more income for these young people. Then they can spend more on products or services not only domestically, but also internationally. Now, that's what we tend to miss out. Currently, you have about 3,000 young people leaving Uganda every day, almost every day, to go to the United Arab Emirates to find work, Dubai, the Middle East, 
and they're doing this very simple work. They're cleaners. Some of them are drivers. But what you don't hear is how many of those young people end up coming back to the country because the opportunities they have really do not match up to what the expectations were. So if we're able to grow that talent over young people, but also expose them to the opportunities because opportunities are not everywhere. So we have to create those opportunities here so that they're able to contribute meaningfully to the welfare of our young people. So these are some of the reasons why these young people are very, very important, most especially at this time. Indeed, indeed. Couldn't have said it any better. Growing their passion, growing their talent, create opportunities, and using finance and access to capital, I think, is an, as an enabler for all of us to do and to help them, you know, create more jobs, create more opportunities for them going forward. So as you know, we're approaching LBC5, which is the fifth conference of the least developed countries. So what in your, in your opinion, the main priorities that us as developer practitioners should all be focusing on? That's a very good question. What are the priorities? It almost feels like everything is a priority at this time. COVID-19 has really changed a lot in terms of running businesses, in terms of our health, in terms of our education. I, I feel like we've had a very huge reset in very many aspects. And I feel this should be one of the areas guiding LDC 5. But just allow me to speak freely on the area of entrepreneurship. One of the things that has really baffled me is how very many development practitioners who are trying to support entrepreneurship look at this as a footnote or just an output area in their approaches, in their work plans. I've been invited to many development partners who say, oh, by the way, we have an output on innovation. Could you help us think about it? And then you're all excited. Oh, this organization is really putting its foot down in the area of entrepreneurship, trying to take integrated approaches, social impact. And then after one year, it's a very huge hassle to find a budget to sustain that excitement that you put out there within the community. Or what you tend to see, even if we come in as consultants, you find yourself having a disconnected development practitioner. Says, oh, Outbox is taking care of it. Everything will be fine and we shall meet our goals. So for me, the first aspect has to be the mindset. And as we move to set these priorities, having a very long, having a very forward thinking and long-term approach in terms of how we try to create the impact in these communities. It's not just about the next five years. It's about 10 years plus, right? How do we have sustained engagement? Why don't we move from five-year work plans to 10-year horizons in terms of the way we try to get certain things done or even more? How do we invest in the local capacity of organizations for sustainability purposes, local talent in terms of driving these priorities that we identify. First of all, for me, I am really for mindset change, the way we plan. We always have to ask ourselves, 
why didn't it work the last time? So the way we plan, the way we budget, the way we bring on partners, there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of the work that is being done totally wrong. That aside, I believe one of the priorities should be around unlocking affordable financing, innovative financing. And we've seen quite some interesting innovative models come up for young enterprises. I speak a lot about young enterprises when it comes to financing because I feel that the large enterprises have all the opportunities to tap into large pots of money that's readily available for them. And usually they're given the first priority. But if we don't prioritize investing at the bottom of the pyramid of the growth chain of enterprises, then we shall really be missing out in the opportunities to create employment. So I feel that is very critical. The second is around education. Education has really demonstrated that it's a centerpiece of very entrepreneurial countries. And usually that's sometimes interlinked with research. So we have to see how best we can work to help our young people, but most importantly to help our governments rethink the aspects of vocational education vis-a-vis -vis the mainstream education that we have. How do we remove those aspects that are not relevant and actually focus on helping our young people build market-relevant skills? The last priority I'll speak to is around market access. This, you know, we've faced a lot of tariff and non-tariff barriers, even just within the boundaries of our regions as least developed countries. It, you find it's cheaper for me to fly from here to Dubai than it might be for me to fly from here to Nigeria. So it's very important that we really take these trade agreements very seriously, try to help the different countries actualize these aspects, because I find this as one of the most, most challenging things. You find our milk blocked at borders, our maize blocked at borders. And I know there are challenges with some of our businesses, but I feel that if we provided the opportunities and lowered those barriers, these economies would really, really thrive. There was once a time Uganda was selling to South Sudan, and it wasn't cheap to get a tray of eggs, just a tray of eggs. The economy was quite strong and I would love to see such things happening once more when we're trading with each other as least developed countries, but also being able to export to mature markets. Thank you so much, Richard. I think it was very comprehensive answer from your end. You've touched upon like some key elements that are really we can also call them as enablers to try sustainable change on the ground at grassroots level. You've talked about mastering expectations, not to overestimate what we can do in the short term, or really think small and think about the long-term implications of our work. The importance of us as development practitioners to be there, to be active, to listen in to Southern perspectives, to listen in to the needs of the people and co-create with them and co-identify with them the priorities of their community to thrive, to bring forward change. The importance of investing in local capacities, the importance of rethinking education and vocational training, the importance 
of building the foundations that would allow for greater market access, not only externally, but most importantly, among different LDCs to really bring about change that is meaningful and uh, that comes from the LDCs themselves that is not imposed, but it's really nurtured from within. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that, Richard. I will talk with you for another hour, for hours, for other days. So <laughs> since a common theme was future generations, young entrepreneurship, really thinking about that and the risking facilities that can help really invest in those markets, invest in those young businesses. So do you have any last message that you'd like to convey for anyone, especially young and future generations in LDCs that are thinking about and are willing to build more inclusive communities at the local level? My last message really is to the entrepreneurs out there listening, you've taken a big bet. One thing I know about entrepreneurs is the self-belief. Most of us start Three entrepreneurs really start to create change. That's what really drives them in terms of thinking big and trying to reach as many people as possible. And for me, really, the message is just to say that your work does matter. You may not feel it just because you look to be part of a very huge machinery that's out there working and you think you're a cog in the wheel. So for me, it's just to say, keep being bold, keep building. But at the end of the day, you have to notice that it's not just about you. It's really about each one of us out there who's trying to create a difference. Every entrepreneur represents ex other entrepreneurs out there in terms of either building credibility with government, speaking out. That contract you might get with a, a large multinational helps drive the sentiment of what they might think about other organizations or companies like yours. And so we have to think above self and care much more about the environment in which we operate beyond our business. COVID-19 has really demonstrated this very well. For when we got this lockdown and everything, and we were struggling to find masks and build capacities around testing, that's a moment I honestly felt helpless. I felt helpless. I was like, oh my God. I felt helpless to the point of what can I really do to help? And we're like, where is this capacity? Why are we lacking in all these things that we really want? And you could see very rich nations now moving very fast, testing vaccines here and there. And, and I think for me, COVID-19 is the one leveling field that showed everyone that what happens in the environment matters, right? Because we are all interconnected and all interlinked. So if someone is trying to start a business, if you're trying to keep building your business, first of all, just know you're not working alone. There are other people out there who can help, but also most importantly, you have to pull the next person up for purposes of us having more inclusion, getting more women, in this in business, getting more people with disabilities, but also getting that next young person who might have grown up next to you, but didn't have a good education, some form of employment or opportunity. So for me, the one message is let's be selfless. 
Let's keep building our businesses. Let's be passionate. But it's, we have to give more than we take. And that's the only way we shall move forward. Thank you. Thanks so much, Richard. What a wonderful message. Be selfless, that your work matters. Let me join you in saying that your work matters and the importance of being bold, the importance of being inclusive, the importance of thinking about the other that we may be helping first. And also like the image and the way that you describe COVID-19 as more of an opportunity as well of rethinking how we do our work, of rethinking how we approach these issues and thinking about it as a leveling field that really is going to bring about change in whatever we do and also how we help others. So thank you, thank you, thank you again, Richard. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to our audience for joining in. This was Capital Musings, UNCDF podcast, where we focus on fresh ideas that help make finance work for the poor in emerging economies. And today, especially for young entrepreneurs in least developed countries, bringing about access to opportunities for them. If you liked this podcast, please do share it with your peers, tag us, using the hashtag Capital Musings, tag me or tag Richard, and we will be happy to hear your thoughts, throw in some DMs, send us emails, or leave us a review. Reviews help us and new listeners discover our podcast. So if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review. We're here for you, we're there for you and for others, and have a blissful day. And until next time, take care, everybody.